0: Welcome to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep Podcast. I'm Erin, pediatric sleep consultant and founder of The Happy Sleep Company. From cat naps to night wakes and regressions to teething, we cover all things baby sleep. With a passion for children's sleep, we're here to help tired families get healthy rest. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Fun fact for today, this episode is being recorded in my in-law's RV, This is the stuff you do when you have small children running around, making noise, and you are trying to record a podcast episode. So we are visiting my mother-in-law for a couple of weeks, and she lives seven hours away from us, so we've sort of taken over her house, my brother-in-law, his kids, Steve, Myla, me... It's a full house, and it's been a little bit tough for all of us to get our work done, but we are getting there. And then today it occurred to me I needed to record a podcast episode, and there it was nowhere, even remotely quiet in that house to do it. I glanced outside, realized that my mother-in-law's RV is still parked in the driveway from a recent camping trip, and I thought, perfect. So now I'm in the RV, recording this episode. I think the acoustics are pretty good. It's really quiet, calm, lovely. And I think this might have to be a habit that every time I come here, I work from the RV all day long because it's fabulous. Nobody really even knows I'm in here. The kiddos are inside making all the noise they want. I'm just in a little hideaway and it's pretty great. It's like a little mom break. I'm loving it. So coming to you from the RV with Q&A Tuesday. It's Q&A Tuesday. And recently, just the other day, I did a sleep Q&A on Instagram. So I I asked our followers to just ask me any baby and toddler sleep questions they wanted and spent a few hours responding to their questions. So I used that for my top five this week. I pulled out five questions from that sleep Q&A that I did on Instagram. And we're going to talk about those today and just sort of flesh them out a little bit more, and give you some answers to some questions about some little babies all the way up to age one today, and how we might get through some of these challenges that these mamas are having that they asked me in these DMs. So let's start with the youngest, three and a half months old. My three and a half month old is taking much longer to get down for sleep and waking up much more frequently at night than he used to. Tips for getting more sleep, please this child is probably going through the four-month sleep regression. If you listen to this podcast often, you will probably remember me already having said that the four-month sleep regression doesn't actually generally happen at four months. It happens sooner than that. It usually happens somewhere between 10 and 14 weeks of age. This child in this question is three and a half months old, probably means we're talking about 14, 15 weeks of age. And if this child used to go down more easily for sleep and wake up not very often at night and is now taking much longer to get to sleep and waking up more frequently, we're probably looking at the four month sleep regression. What that means is this child has exited the newborn stage and is entering that stage of older infancy. And what happens at that point is that a child's sleep patterns change. They start to look less like the sleep patterns of a newborn and more like the sleep patterns of an older infant, which actually look more like the sleep patterns of an adult. And so this child is now having shorter sleep cycles and waking up more frequently as a result. If in the early months of life a child has gotten fairly used to and dependent on being rocked to sleep or fed to sleep or using a pacifier to get to sleep or co-sleeping, this is often where we see particularly at the four-month mark or at this 10 to 14-week mark, at this four-month sleep regression mark, we see this child start to struggle with sleep a little bit more. And mama's dads this is not to place any blame or shame on how you've handled the first few months of life most of us resort to rocking to sleep feeding to sleep pacifier to sleep that kind of thing in those early months because we're just trying to get by our baby will go to sleep easily in our arms on a bottle on a breast with a pacifier and we're just trying to get by and get as much sleep as we can as we get used to being parents and navigate this new world and so we sometimes develop these habits The troublesome part of it is that often around this four-month sleep regression point, these habits really start to show themselves, and we really start to realize, hmm, my baby doesn't know any other way to get to sleep now. And before, that was fine, but now that my baby's having shorter sleep cycles, they're waking up constantly looking for the rocking, the feeding, the pacifier, etc., that put them to sleep in the first place. They're really, really dependent on those things, and a lot of parents will come to us at the Happy Sleep Company and say, okay, I need to make a change. This worked for us in the first few months It got us through the first few months. My baby got a lot of sleep and so did I. But now that we're at this four month sleep regression point, none of us is getting a lot of rest. My baby is so dependent on these sleep crutches to get to sleep that now he's really dependent on these sleep crutches to also get back to sleep every time he's in a light stage of sleep and wakes up a little bit. So I need to make these changes. So if you are navigating this, this four month sleep regression, the two biggest tips that I have are to watch wake windows really closely. Make sure that you have increased wake windows a little bit from when your child was a newborn. If when your child was two months old, you were giving them maybe 45 minutes to an hour of awake time and then putting them down for sleep again, that was great at two months, but it's probably not enough sleep pressure now that your child is a little bit older. So now that your child is closer to the four month mark, we will look at more like an hour 15 to an hour and a half of awake time before we're putting baby down for sleep again. I wouldn't do more than that because we don't want baby to be overtired, but we want to make sure we have enough sleep pressure. So if you're seeing lots of night wakes and lots of difficult naps, a hard time going down for naps, short naps, we might want to look at your baby's wake windows, make sure they're spot on, not too little so they're tired enough, but not so big that they're overtired. And then the next place we need to look is at those sleep crutches. If you're really struggling with sleep at this three and a half plus month mark and you're realizing my baby needs a lot of sleep crutches to get to sleep and then keeps waking up looking for those same crutches, this may be the point where you want to look at some form of sleep coaching to help your baby learn to sleep a more independent way, to help baby learn to go into their crib awake and fall asleep using their own sleep skills so they have those skills to use again 45 minutes later when they wake up multiple times through the night, 30, 45 minutes into a nap. They have the skills to get to sleep and they have the skills to get back to sleep at those times. And that's where we talk about sleep coaching. We have a whole other episode and a blog post devoted to talking about different sleep coaching strategies. Do remember that it does not need to mean cry it out or extinction. Sleep coaching doesn't need to mean we're just going to take away all the sleep crutches and leave your baby alone in a crib to cry with no support. They need to be able to hear your voice, feel your touch, be picked up for a hug if they need a hug when they're going through a big transition like this. But if we want to get past these teeny naps and these multiple nighttime wake ups and these difficult times going down for sleep, we probably are at the point where we need to remove the crutches and teach baby a different way. So that's probably what's going on in answer to this mom's question about her three and a half month old suddenly struggling with sleep a little bit more than he used to. Next question is about a four-month-old and rolling. My four-month-old keeps rolling onto her tummy at night and waking herself up. Help. This is a really common stage, can be a really tough stage. Rolling is inevitably going to happen for every baby at some point. Sometimes it's as early as four months. Sometimes babies don't roll until they're seven or eight months, but at whatever point it comes, it can be a bit of a tumultuous time for sleep. The first thing we want to do is practice, practice, practice. So practice during the daytime tummy time have your baby practice rolling over don't just practice in the living room on the play mat in a big open space that's really different for your baby than when they are in the crib and having a troublesome time getting flipped over when they're in that much tighter space so practice in the daytime in the crib go to your baby's room in their crib in their awake time during the day, turn on some nursery rhyme music, put some toys in the crib and put your baby on their belly supervised in the crib, lights on, consider it playtime, put them on their belly and go over to the other side of the crib in kind of a where's mummy, roll over to mummy kind of game to encourage your child to roll from their belly to their back towards you. This practice in the crib can really help with baby getting over this rolling milestone more quickly. And the more quickly they get through that milestone, the less disruptive it's going to be to their sleep. When it comes to what you do at night when your baby rolls onto their tummy and is upset, certainly we want to go help them out if they can't yet roll back onto their back on their own if you know your child is safe and there's nothing going on outside of the rolling because you've your child is sleeping in your room or you have your video monitor i would suggest if you're comfortable with it you wait a couple of minutes before you go to flip your baby over if you run right away i do often see this become a bit of a game where you run right away and you flip your baby over and they almost immediately flip back onto their belly you run right away, you flip them over, they almost immediately roll back to their belly, it becomes kind of a back and forth game. If you delay gratification a little bit, couple of minutes, not only do you give your child a chance to try and practice to roll back to their back on their own, but you also again, delay gratification. So it's not as much of a game, we wait a couple of minutes, we go flip your baby over and get out of sight again, and give them that time to work on going back to sleep on their back, or going back and forth from tummy to back if they're meeting that milestone. So give your baby a little time is the moral of that story when they wake up at night and are on their tummy. Again, watch them, make sure they're safe, but give them a little time before you go flip them over so it doesn't become such a game. Next question is about baby's room environment. Does having baby's room pitch dark for naps disrupt their circadian rhythm? I would suggest no. What disrupts a baby's circadian rhythm and really causes day-night confusion in the newborn stage is when we let baby sleep for most of the day and then they're up throughout the night and we're having playtime at night. So basically the the reverse of what we're hoping for. If we put baby down in the daytime and they sleep for four or five hours in the middle of the day, This is likely to disrupt their circadian rhythm, it's likely to reduce the amount of sleep pressure that they have for their nighttime sleep, and just kind of confuse their body clock as to what is day and what is night. So what I suggest during the day is that you do have the room that they're sleeping in nice and dark for sleep because it is going to promote a better sleep and more healthy rest for them during the day. But you don't let a newborn's nap be longer than about two and a half to three hours max. So when your baby wakes up in the morning, we have your awake time. They're 45 minutes to an hour of awake time if they're a newborn. We take them out of their sleep space. We change their clothes. We bring them into the natural light. We talk to them. We play with them. And then we put them down for their nap in a nice, dark, sleep-conducive space. We let them nap. We don't let that nap be longer than about two and a half to three hours. We wake our baby up. We have our hour of awake time. Different room. Chatting. Singing. Singing playing, bright light, natural light. We take them outside, we get them some fresh air. We do all of these things to help align their circadian rhythm between day and night. We give them their proper wake window, we put them down for another nap. So helping your baby through that proper wake window schedule in the day, putting them down for their naps when they need a nap in a nice sleep conducive environment, but waking them up and not letting them nap for too long per nap during the day These things are what is going to help align their circadian rhythm. I would not suggest that having the room dark is going to disrupt their circadian rhythm as long as you aren't letting naps go on for a super, super long time each nap during the day. Next question is about a 12-month-old starting daycare. My 12-month-old is starting daycare and they only offer one nap from 12 to 2. She'll be awake at 6 a.m. and so tired because she's used to having two naps. Help. I love for a child to hang on to two naps until closer to about 16 to 18 months of age, but a lot of daycares only offer one nap a day starting at around 12 months because it just works better for the daycare schedule. I get it. If you have five kiddos in your care and three or four of them are 18 plus months and definitely only need one nap a day, then the other one or two who might be 12, 13 months are probably just going to have to get on the same schedule for a lot of daycares. So, If your 12-month-old, first of all, if your 12-month-old is starting a daycare that only offers one nap, I would I would have the conversation. It's still worth asking if somehow they could accommodate a two-nap schedule for your 12-month old. But if they won't, if they can't, then a noon nap is not a bad idea. I do love a noon nap if your child has to go to one nap a day early rather than like 12 30 one o'clock. 12 30 one o'clock is really late for a 12-month-old to have their one nap in the day, they are generally going to be quite overtired at that point. So 12 o'clock is good. I'm glad to see in this question that the daycare is offering a noon nap and not later, but this child is going to need a really early bedtime. And that's the key. If your 12-month-old, 13-month-old, if your child under the age of 16 months has to go to one nap a day kind of early, then I do suggest they be in bed every night at 6 p.m. If you can swing it, I know it's asking a lot because if your child is in daycare, that often means that both parents are also working. And so to get home from work, get your child from daycare, get them fed. Have some together time and get them to bed by 6 p.m. can be a huge ask and not possible for every single family, but it is the best advice I can give for a child going down to one nap that early. We want to combat overtiredness. And the only way to do that if we have to be on a one nap schedule is with a really early bedtime in bed 6 p.m. or as close to that as you can get so that we're combating that overtiredness. You might also consider having two naps on Saturdays and Sundays if your child is home with you on the weekends. That way, we sort of catch them up to a more age-appropriate schedule two days a week and get them back on track for Monday morning when they go back to daycare for their one nap. Last question for today, how do I know when to stop the dream feed? This is a great question, and the question itself is why I don't generally recommend a dream feed. It's because it's really hard to know when to stop doing it. So a dream feed for those of you who don't know, the idea of it is that you sneak into your baby's room at some point in the night, often it's right before the parents go to bed, and you feed your baby without actually waking them up. You sneak them out of the crib and you put them on the breast or bottle, you hope they don't wake up and you sneak them back into the crib again and they never even know about it. They don't wake up, but they get the calories. The goal is that hopefully they'll sleep longer at night and you as parents get a longer stretch before they wake up again. The issue with a dream feed is that it can be really hard to know when to stop doing it because your baby wasn't waking up asking for it. You were sneaking it in there without your baby even waking. I generally only recommend a dream feed if a family's healthcare provider has advised that their child cannot yet do the night without a feed. It's not appropriate for the child to do the night without a feed yet because of their age or more likely their weight if they're still being monitored because they're not quite at a proper weight, they're not where their healthcare provider wants them to be on the growth curve and they need some extra calories. If the healthcare provider has said, even if your baby wanted to, I would not want your baby to go through the night without a feed, then maybe a dream feed is a good idea. Because if the baby is trying to sleep longer stretches at night but we have to get a feed in there, doing it in their sleep so they don't even know about it and it doesn't even really disrupt their overnight rest can be a great idea. That is one case where I might suggest doing a dream feed. But if your baby is over about four months and at a healthy weight, I wouldn't suggest that a dream feed is really the right path because They're probably at the point where they could very soon go through the night without a feed, but we won't know it because we're just going in and sneaking in that dream feed. So if a family is ready to remove overnight feeds and their baby is at a great age and healthy weight to do that, then we would just remove the overnight feeds as part of sleep coaching. We generally would then see baby very quickly replace their overnight calories during the day, start having bigger, better, more efficient feeds in the day, maybe be more interested in solids if they're older and and haven't been quite interested in solids even though the parents have really been trying but the overnight feeds have been maybe hindering that a little bit these are cases where we might just remove the overnight feeds altogether if a child is not at the point where the family feels they're ready to remove the overnight feeds we could certainly keep an overnight feed as part of a sleep program a sleep coaching program but we would do an active feed i.e baby woke up and we've decided this baby still needs an overnight feed, so we're going to feed them when they wake rather than sneak in a dream feed. This way, if we feed baby when they wake up and are asking for it and we've all agreed, yes, we're going to keep an overnight feed because baby's still at a point where they need it, then we also know when to stop doing it. Because baby may just start sleeping through the night without it. If you wait for baby to wake for the feed and then you do the feed, you have the opportunity for baby to not wake for the feed at some point. You are giving your baby the opportunity to sleep through the night without those calories and wake up for the day looking for more calories if you don't do a dream feed, but you do an active feed. So, with the active feed, bottom line, at some point your baby may actually sleep through the night without it. And then you as a parent can say, oh, great. I just woke up this morning and realized my baby didn't wake up through the night last night for his feed. I can be really confident now that he can do the night without a feed, no problem. And now we can look at just not re-implementing overnight feeds. I feel really good and confident about my baby doing the night because he just illustrated to me that he can With a dream feed, if you are the one sneaking in to do it, it's tough to know when to stop doing it because you don't know if baby can go through the night without the feed because you've always been sneaking in and offering it. So that's why I don't generally recommend the dream feed per se. In terms of the question, how do I know when to stop it? That's the that's the clincher, right? How do you know when to stop it? I would suggest if you've been doing a dream feed, you wait until the point where you And your healthcare provider both feel very confident that your baby is at a great weight and you get advice from your healthcare provider about when they feel you can stop doing the dream feed and your baby no longer needs overnight calories. As long as you trust your healthcare provider and you feel great about that recommendation, then the best thing to do is go with that in terms of when you decide to stop doing that dream feed you've always done in the past. That will hopefully give you more confidence in removing the dream feed and letting your baby do the night. I do suggest that at that point, when you're removing the dream feed, you have a plan for what to do instead if your baby wakes up during the night. If you've decided you're not not going to feed overnight anymore, you're not going to do the dream feed, you do want to have a plan for what to do if baby wakes up and is upset. Because if baby wakes up and is upset and you decide to just go feed them, then we're probably creating a bit of a sleep crutch at a time when you had already decided your baby didn't need a feed at night anymore. But if you didn't have a plan for how to reassure them in a way that is not feeding, you may just resort to feeding and now we have that sleep crutch. So really a good idea to keep doing your dream feed if you've been doing it until the point where you and your healthcare provider are confident it's not necessary. Then when you're ready to remove overnight calories altogether, have a plan for what you're going to do instead if baby wakes up. Are you going to take sort of a sit in the room approach where you go to your baby and you sit in the room with them and you offer reassurance and support, but you don't do the feed because your goal was to remove that? Are you going to take more of a leave and check approach where you wait, you go to your baby, you reassure them, you leave the room again, you decide how long you're going to wait again, then you go back in, you reassure, but you don't do the feed. You offer love, support, guidance, reassurance, words, touch, hugs, but you don't offer the feed and you get baby to go back to sleep without the feed if that was your goal, to remove the overnight feeds at that point. So that's how I would decide to stop the dream feed, you know, in in combination of you and your healthcare's knowledge of your baby's health and weight and what you do instead. So having that plan for, okay, I'm confident, I'm ready to go the night without a feed altogether. Here's my plan for what I'm going to do instead if baby wakes up so that we can help baby learn how to go back to sleep without the feed and be very consistent about that so we get to the point where baby can sleep through the night. So that's the top five for the week. It was a little bit of a mixed bag, but I think everybody was under about 12 months of age. I think most of our listeners' little ones are under 12 months of age, though we do get lots of questions about toddlers too, so feel free to send those in. Give us a follow on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company. Like I said, I'm on there just about every day offering sleep tips, and I often do full Q&As as as well, so you have a chance to send in your questions. You can DM us questions, head to the website. If you ever want to do a free 20-minute phone consultation with someone on our team and talk more about your individual baby sleep, you can head there to check that out. We're here for you. We know that these periods of time in your baby's early months can be really challenging for sleep. Sometimes even in the early years can continue to be challenging, but there are ways to get to the other side. We're here to help. Reach out and have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Sleep Cues, the Everything Baby Sleep Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with a mom or dad who might need some rest. Connect with us on Instagram at The Happy Sleep Company, and check out our website, thehappysleepcompany.com, for loads of blogs, sleep guides, and information about how we work with families one-on-one to get sleep on track.